do one more message because tomorrow's Thanksgiving and uh, had different ways I could go. I prepared actually two different messages uh, on Thanksgiving besides the one I prepared Sunday. I'm only going to do one of them. Uh, and the other one was kind of a heavy one for a Wednesday right before I felt. Uh, and both were very similar. And this, the name of this message is How to Have an Attitude of Gratitude. Amen? And we, should, we need to have, people, you hear about people who have an attitude. Amen? Well, if you're a Christian, you should have an attitude, but it should be an attitude of thanksgiving. Amen? And uh, every day, man, you need to be giving thanks to the Lord. And I'm excited about the scriptures that we're going to talk about. And I was thinking of the scripture as well, off and on through this Thanksgiving season, where Paul commands us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, to be thankful in every, all of our circumstances. Amen? That means no matter what you're going through, to be thankful. Uh, now, you might be going through something really horrific, uh, even being attacked by the enemy. And while you're not thankful for the enemy, you can be thankful in the midst of the attack, knowing that God is good and that God purposes all things, that he works all things together for the good. Amen. For those who love him and are the call according to his purpose. And that you really can't do that unless you know the Lord, unless you know the word, unless you have faith and trust that the Lord is good. Amen. And that he's rewarded those who diligently seek him and that he indeed does work all things together for the good. For those who love and are called according to his purposes. So it's, it's funny because I was, you know, I try to be thankful in all things because we can always, you know, we're always should be reminded, uh, oh, my soul, praise the Lord. We should remind our soul. And when we're getting down about some funk we're in because we're going through something and we're like, what in the world is going on here? This is crazy. We need to remind ourselves, man, there's always reasons to praise the Lord. Amen. First and foremost, that, that he loves you and that he is God and that he is good and, and that he, uh, we should never lose sight of the reality that as Christians, our names are written in heaven. And Jesus commanded us to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. We can always rejoice in that because that trumps any bad thing you'll go through. Amen. The fact that you're a citizen of heaven trumps any bad thing that you will ever go through. And therefore, you can rise above. That doesn't mean you don't sorrow. Doesn't mean you don't weep. Paul said weeping yet rejoicing. Outwardly, he speaks of we can be going through turmoil. There's things legitimately, you know, there, we should have tears over on some level, amen. But in the midst of the tears, we can have joy. And when I was thinking of the scripture, you know, uh, be thankful in all circumstances. I couldn't wait to get here and, and lift my hands and praise during worship and so forth. And I'm outside and I'm like, I, I went outside, man, because I was like looking for my keys and I couldn't find them anywhere. And I'm looking everywhere and and I ran outside. I'm like, man, if Lisa leaves before me, she's like really good at finding things, you know. <laughs> and she's really good at hiding things, uh, <clears throat> my keys. Uh, <laughs> I'm halfway teasing. So I was looking all over for them. In the, in, I tried to, couldn't get in my car because the keys are to my car. But I'm at my truck looking at it. No, I didn't lock them in there. I know I had groceries and stuff for Thanksgiving. And I went through the garage. I'm opening the garage with our code, looking in the garage looking in the house, and Lisa comes in. I go, Lisa, you need to help me, you know, before you go, uh, because I don't have keys to get back in. You know, I need your keys. And then we get in the house, and she's looking. I'm looking in my office, and she goes, I found him. I go, praise God. But I know she didn't tell me where she found him. So we're walking out. I go, because I have a place I always put him, but sometimes I'll put him in a more obvious place because I'm like in or out. And I go, where did you find him? She goes, I threw my coat on him. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, you threw your coat on him. Praise the Lord. Okay, well, praise the Lord, I got my keys. And, uh, but you're being tested. I'm going to be thankful in this circumstance because I'm looking so forward to, I'm looking at my timing. Okay, my timing's good. I'm juggling everything today. We had to do a podcast today. Uh, 
you know, all kinds of things. And I'm like, got to get my message done. And I've got to cook. I prepared two turkeys that I finally got in the refrigerator. And just one's a good, lot of prep because of what I was doing, splatchcock, all that stuff. And I'm like doing two of them because they're small turkeys. I'm like, Lord, help me get there on time, you know. And uh, my days are always like that. But uh, I say I was driving. I'm like, I've been praising him today and lifting my hands and singing worship songs throughout the day in the midst of my busy day. But I wanted to get here and just worship. And I was like, you know what, Lord? You're sovereign. You know my heart, you know. I was like, do not let Gerald be done by the time I get here. Praise the Lord. And it was one of my favorite songs, Holy Anointed One, you know. I was like, praise God. He just started it. But uh, we got an awesome God. And no matter what we're going through, I thought, I thought honestly, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. She drives before I get, get to her, you know. I probably wouldn't have, you know, she's like a really, she's far better at looking for things than me. I'm really good, well, God's really good when I pray. And I usually have to stop and pray, and then it happens pretty quick, but... I probably wouldn't have looked under her coat. Uh, <laughs> so I'd be like walking, get here at the end. Steve, how did it go? You know. Anyway, uh, how to have an attitude of gratitude. And it challenged me to have an attitude of gratitude even in the midst of this, even if I can't make it today. You know, I don't think there's ever a time where I could make it and I didn't. And I was like, man, I want to be getting my truck. You know? And uh, so have an attitude of gratitude. Go to... Matthew chapter 5. Because guess what? You cannot have joy unless you have gratitude. An unthankful person is not a happy person, right? Unthankful people are bitter, you know, uh, and so forth. But in Matthew chapter 5, we meet, you know, we're at the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. But I thought this is a good launching pad in Matthew chapter 5. Those, you know, popular, powerful comprehensive, as far as living life goes, uh, teaching in, that's ever been given, you know, by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the most popular message ever given in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's interesting how he starts it. We read in verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, and I just want to look at the first of the Beatitudes. How does he begin the Beatitudes? We did a whole series of several messages for several months through the Beatitudes. But I just want to look at the first one. The first one is really important. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't mean those who are just straight out poor. Although the poor are blessed too, Jesus has taught elsewhere if they respond to their poor state properly. But he's talking about specifically about being poor in something. Being poor in what? Being poor in spirit. And what he wants them to understand is that those who are poor in spirit, they're blessed, they're happy, they're satisfied, they're, they're filled. Why? Because they're poor in spirit. Now, how can you be blessed if you're poor? Well... To be poor in spirit, just to cut to the chase, because I have a lot of scriptures I want to share with you, but as I said, I'm going to try to get out a little bit early with you guys, plus I have a, a meeting with a brother that's been meeting to get together for some time afterwards, which I, that's very typical on Wednesday, so I'm not rushing because of that, but I want to get you guys home on time, and I know my wife wants me home at a decent time. <laughs> but uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's talking about those who are spiritually poor before God, that recognize, that are humble before God that recognize that without his grace, 
without his goodness, without his love, just on our lonesome, all alone, without him, we're nothing. That we're spiritually bankrupt. That we're not at zero either. We're in the negative. We owe God righteousness that we could never pay. Amen? And the poor in spirit of those who recognize before God, who humble themselves and say, you know what? I deserve your judgment. I don't deserve anything. I deserve judgment. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I humble myself before you, God. I'm spiritually bankrupt. You know, the good that you've called me to do, I have not done. You know? And the bad you've told me not to do, I have done. And I deserve your judgment and your wrath. And you recognize that you're poor spiritually. In and of yourself, that you're spiritually bankrupt. Now, how could you be blessed because of that? Well, first off, you're recognizing your spiritual poverty. You're being real, man. And that's what we don't have in the world today, a lot of realness. We have a lot of fakeness, you know. We have people pretending that they're certain animals or other genders than they are. Just everything, everybody's into fantasy right now. And God's telling us, be real. Recognize that you have not added up. Like Belshazzar, you know, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, when the writing appeared on the wall, when he's partying with the vessels that were stolen from the temple that the Babylonians stole. They're getting drunk and partying. And, and all of a sudden, the, you know, the, the words write out, you know, that you've been weighed and found wanting. Well, we've all been weighed, and we're all found wanting, but we have to recognize that we're, we're found wanting. It's when we think we're all that, and that we deserve something, and, and you know, we're, we're entitled to everything, or entitled to things, when really we deserve judgment. It's only when we recognize that that we humble ourselves before God. And it's key that we humble ourselves before God. Right now, a lot of people have a sense of entitlement. You know? Have you ever opened the door for someone and they just don't even, they're not even thankful? I've, I've done that before. I've opened the door like at a, I open the door for people all the time, you know? And uh, I still do to this day, you know, whether you're, you're you know, going through an office building or whatever. I try to be very courteous. And, and usually people are grateful, you know? But every once in a while, someone will just walk through it, just keep walking, you know? And I just want to beat him up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'll be honest, not about that. But you do get a feeling like, God, that's ungrateful, you know? And it, it, it doesn't, it's happened more than once. And I think, wait a minute, I'm not doing it to be thanked. I'm doing it to be a nice guy. And me being nice, you know, hopefully it affects that person who, if, you know, maybe there's a lot on their mind. I don't know, you know what they're thinking. Uh, but, but, but we know there's something irksome about that, right? When you do things for people and they're ungrateful because they feel they deserve it, you know? But we start feeling like we deserve something, like we deserve a thank you. Think about that. Do we really deserve a thank you? Um, I mean, it's, it's ethically right to be thankful, so people should be thankful. But it's kind of interesting when you think about that. So I was thinking, you know what, uh, we all... You have to be careful because we have a sense of entitlement. And we start to get upset about life and things going on in life. And if we stay there, a lot of times that's because our, our mind's getting skewed and we're not focused on the blessing that the Lord's given us. And how we don't deserve anything, really, to be honest with you, right? And we should be thankful for everything. And then when things go wrong, we should say, okay, you know what? 
things should go way more wrong in my life because I deserve God's judgment. Amen? And thank God I'm not getting what I deserve. Amen? And then when we get that mentality, we have an attitude of gratitude that I want to be thankful because I deserve God's judgment and he's being good to me and he's a good God and he loves me, then it makes you have an attitude of gratitude where you're, you're thankful. And I've noticed that those who are thankful in life and don't have a sense of entitlement that I deserve all this and that and the other, they're the most joyful people. Those who think the world owes them everything and God owes them everything and they're all that and kind of put themselves in the place of God as though they've created the universe or what? They're the most miserable people. They really are, you know? I feel bad for people that are, uh, you know, and I'm not saying if somebody's miserable or they're sad or they're depressed or they're lonely or they're hurting, it's always because they don't have gratitude. You can go through a lot of funks for a lot of different reasons, but a lot of reasons, a lot of the, the main reason I'll say that many, many people are in a funk is because they're unthankful. And that's, and that's what the scriptures say. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And one of the things it says, it says they'll be unthankful. People will be unthankful. And in Romans chapter 1, it talks about because they were unthankful in their hearts, God gave them over to depravity, to sexual perversion, to lesbianism, to homosexuality. It's in Romans 1. It starts with that unthankfulness, not recognizing God. And therefore, they don't obey God's laws and, and seek him, but kind of you know, start doing their own thing. So it's important that we're poor in spirit, guys. God blesses those who are poor in spirit, who recognize his greatness and our littleness in the context of who he is and recognizing that, wow, I've been gifted life. I've been given this gift to actually live. I mean, just think about the fact that you have life, that I have life, that we exist, that we have our own identities, minds, you know. We didn't put ourselves together. And I remind you guys, man, Thanksgiving's come up, coming up, so it's appropriate. You know, you have thousands of taste buds on your tongue to enjoy really, really good food. Man, you should be thankful. Because, you know, if I had, I don't, we don't do that to our computers. Oh, we made a computer, and now let's, let's help them enjoy getting energy. And just where they're like, wow, this is really good today, getting energy. Mm. No, we don't even think about that. But God created us his image. He loves us. He wants to bless us. Amen. And he gives us all these different things. And it's interesting because we need to make sure that blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of God. He's talking about the humble. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6, but he resists the proud, right? And James, or 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5 says, clothe yourself in humility for God gives grace to the humble. Says, but he's opposed to the proud. Then he says in verse 6, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. I mean, Proverbs chapter 16, that's a strong warning. It says, Pride comes before a what? A fall. And a what? Haughty spirit before destruction. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So it's really important that we humble ourselves. And humbling yourself means you're being real. God's not saying take a posture that's unnatural. He's saying be real. Recognize that he's God. Recognize that we are not. Recognize that he's perfectly good. Recognize that we are sinners that deserve his judgment. Recognize that he's such a good God. He sent his son to die in your place so you could have eternal life. Wow. 
That blows away the taste buds. Amen? That just, it's like, whoa, God, you've done that for me? Jesus said to his own disciples who were following him, you being evil, call them evil, not a good gift to your children. How much more your father give you the Holy Spirit? In another place, he said the same thing. He said, you being evil, you know, not a good gift to your children. If one asks for a piece of bread or a fish, you don't give him a rock or a snake or what have you. He says, how much more will the father give you all things? The main thing you want, by the way, is salvation in Christ, your name written in heaven, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And then all things, he's, he's created all things for us to enjoy. He's an amazingly good God who really wants to bless us. That's his heart. He loves you. He cares for you. I love when Peter says, tell me yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you in due time. Because right after that, he says, uh, cast your cares on him because he what? He cares for you. God really cares for you. When I say you, I'm not just talking collectively in the plural. That's true. But he cares for each one of you personally. And you have to really understand that he thinks about you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to bless you. But you have to humble yourself and acknowledge him for who he is. You have to acknowledge your sin and ask God for forgiveness and, and receive the forgiveness of your sins so you can be in a right standing with God through the blood of Christ that was shed on behalf of your sins, for your sins. Amen? Now, a scripture that I really love that I think about sometimes because I think it's just, I love certain scriptures that keep me grounded, that, that help me not forget who I am in the Lord and how good he is. And I love these scriptures. Some of these scriptures I'm going to share with you, I think about uh, off and on because they're really good to keep us humble before God. You know? In fact, one that just popped in my mind, which I don't even have written down, right when I said that I like to keep before me, is one of them is like that, is Titus chapter 3. And it says in Titus chapter 3, the first few verses, it talks about, you know, remind them, Titus, to, you know, pay their taxes and all do all these things. And not to forget, not to malign anybody, but to remember that you once also, before you were saved, right, you once were wicked and, you know, malicious and all these things. That we once were like that, right? But then he talks about the grace of God in chapter 2, right before that, that brings salvation has appeared to all men in verse 11 through 13. Then he talks about the grace of God has appeared to all men again, Right after that in Titus chapter 3. And it's by his grace that we're saved. Amen. He wants us to remind ourselves when we see wicked people and we're like, man, how could they do this? And how could Hamas do that? And how could these folks do this? And how could, and, but we're like, wow, I was once like that. I could be just like that now. I could have been born in that area and lived like that and t- been taught that way. But by the grace of God, we go. Amen. So I, I love, uh, one of the scriptures I, that I want you to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that would be awesome. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and when you get there, I think it's interesting that Paul is really dealing with a pride problem. Uh, in fact, in verses 6 and 7, he used the word arrogance, and he's dealing with a pride problem that the Corinthians have. In fact, the word he uses in verse 7 for arrogant, which we'll look at along with verse 6, of course, uh, six and seven is uh, in verse six. He uses that word seven times, Paul does. It's only seven times, found seven times in the whole New Testament, that Greek word. But he uses six of the seven times in Corinthians. <laughs> six of the seven times he uses it is to the Corinthians. This word that's translated arrogant there, or your translation might have puffed up or something like that. Uh, but look what he says in verse six, because they were a proud church. And I wish I had time to get into the surrounding verses of all these, but I don't because I want to hop around a little bit. 
He says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to be exceed what is written, so that not one of you will be what? So no one of you will be what? Arrogant in behalf of one against the other. They were a competitive church. They were competing against each other. They're actually pitting their teachers, Paul and Peter and Apollos, against each other. And it wasn't as though they were false teachers. None of those were false teachers. They're all godly teachers. They taught the same thing. But they're pitting them against each other. And the church of Corinth, and they were just, you know, uh, got really, really ugly. And they were being puffed up. And he says, I don't want you to become arrogant in behalf of one against another. You know, you ever watch football? There'll be some football on tomorrow. I love football. But you know what? You see the cornerbacks? It talks about not being, one translation says, puffed up. So the cornerbacks sometimes are the most cocky guys on the field, you know. But they'll smack talk and with the receivers, and they'll get all puffed up, you know. And in, in sports, you know, they, you know, they'll, you know they, they get that way and try to get some of their confidence and so forth. But that is not the way we ought to be in the church, amen? We're not supposed to be in vainglory, man. We're supposed to be humble before each other. Uh, esteeming each other higher than ourselves, the Bible says. That's heavy. You know, the scripture also says, they don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. And those types of scriptures are really, really important. That shows me we have a tendency to put ourselves first. That's why to become a Christian, Jesus said, you must deny your what? Self. Self. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Amen? And, uh, but today, man, we have this whole even in California, some years back, they had an initiative, this whole, in our government, you know, the whole self-love movement was huge. And I could have told you that was coming because Paul said it was coming. Last days, men will be lovers of self, right? And that's the world system, man. In the church, we're supposed to serve the Lord. We're supposed to serve one another. And he says not to be arrogant against one another. And it's interesting because when he says specifically that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against another. The word you there is in the Greek, it's in the singular, which you think it would be in the plural, but it's in the singular because what he wants the Corinthians to do is imagine one of the fellow Corinthians being puffed up against everybody else and letting them see how ugly that is. And it's very divisive. And Church of Corinth was dealing with a lot of division. But look at verse 7 now. And I love this, guys. This is a scripture that I, I wanted to really get to uh, in this chapter. For who regards you as superior? Look at what he says. What do you have that you did not what? Receive. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you what? Had not received it. Now, what do you have? I ask you that. I ask myself that. What do we have that we have not received? The answer, oh, somebody gave the answer, right? Mark, you got the answer, right? What is it? Nothing. Every good thing and every perfect gift comes down from the Father lights, amen? amen. Comes down from above from the Father lights. James chapter 1, verse 17. What a beautiful verse that is. Every good. Now, sometimes I say, mm, I, I do have some things that I didn't receive, and I always say, that's my what? You guys heard me say this before, right? That's our sin, amen? So the only thing we could take credit for is nothing positive is the sin in our lives and God met us with his grace to save us from that and look at what Paul look how Paul says they're regarded as apostles verse 13 when we are slandered we try to conciliate we have become what as what 
Verse 13. As a, what do you call me, Van? Oh, you're reading the text, yeah. We have become the scum of the earth. She kind of just yelled it out looking at me, so I was just wondering, you know. <laughs> That's right, though. Guess what? We're nothing. Amen. <laughs> uh, we have, uh, we're sad that we try to conciliate, meaning be reconciled, and we have become as the what? Scum of the world. The dregs of all things, even until now. The dregs, I mean, the dregs were when they made wine in those days, the dregs were the particles that were just would sit at the bottom on the leaves, you know, and then they'd just be cast out. They'd become, you don't want them in your mouth and just be rejected. And Paul says that's how we're perceived in the world, you know. But it's interesting because go to, uh, you don't have to go there because we'll stay in Corinthians for a moment, but in Ephesians 3.8, look at what Paul called himself. To me, he says, the very least of all the saints. Wow. Calls himself the least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So look at Paul's writings, man, just abound with grace. In fact, that's in Ephesians 3.8. When you look at Ephesians chapter 1, the first 11, 12, 13 verses, it's like Paul doesn't even take a breath. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but there's just so much praise, and the name of Jesus is just rated throughout that entire passage. He's just praising Jesus for choosing us before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus, right? And predestined us in love, right? According to the purpose of his plan, you know? According to his plan, he works everything out for those who love him, for the good, amen? And he just gives him praise and thanksgiving. But Paul had a real sense of humility. Remember, he was putting the church to death. Remember when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, he blinded him with light because Paul was kind of a self-made man. And he was proud of his accomplishments as a Pharisee, a Jewish leader. And he was commissioned and had letters to put, have Christians arrested and put to death. And he was doing that. He had Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They, he presided over Stephen's clothes. He put it at Paul's feet because he was overseeing Stephen's martyrdom as Stephen was being killed. And the Lord Jesus appeared to him and he blinded him. He was blind for three days until the scales fell off because he needed to recognize he's nothing. And then he even, and he said, you know, he said, he called himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where he says, it's a faithful saying that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, of which I am what? I'm the chief one. He says, but God saved me so others would know in the future that if they came to Jesus, they too could be saved, amen? So whenever you wonder, would God save me? Look at Paul. He said, God, I'm the worst guy, not you. And God saved me to, so you can know that you could be saved. It's good news, right? That's why Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I won't cast away anyone. Amen? Amen. What a beautiful reality. Amen? It's the Word of God. We need to be in the Word. That's why you don't hear me give a bunch of opinions up here. You always hear me quoting scriptures, reading scriptures, because I want you sat we want to be saturated in God's Word. It's His living Word. It's one of His gifts from heaven. It's, besides Jesus Himself, it's the greatest gift you could receive. Amen? Amen. And his, his Word puts things in perspective for us. It's like, wow, Paul. Paul was... Paul praises the Lord after he says he's the least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. You don't recognize how beautiful, wonderful the riches of Christ are if you're full of yourself. 
Because you need to be empty to recognize his goodness so you can be filled with him and then encounter the living Christ and have a relationship with Jesus, amen? Where you're filled with his spirit, you're filled with his love, you're filled with his fruit, the peace, the love, the joy, the long-suffering, jealous, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, amen? Self-control. All that happens in your life through knowing Jesus. Then you want to spend time with him and you want to praise him. But if you get filled up with junk and you're full of yourself, like the guy that on Thanksgiving had to work half a shift, Going home, starving, didn't eat breakfast. Man, but just, he's looking forward. I can't wait to Thanksgiving. He's caught up in a little bit of traffic. He sees the golden archers off the freeway. Oh, just a cheeseburger. Man, it's, it just hold me off. Pulls off. Oh, give me a Big Mac. Large fries, you know, apple pie. Well, what am I doing this? Eats on the way home, comes home. Wife's got this beautiful spread of food, but he's just so full. Because I'm not really hungry, honey. Can you just give me some sweet potatoes? He just ruined his dinner, amen? How many of us ruin, our, ruin the beauty and the blessings we can have in Christ because we try to fill up on the things of this world, amen, that don't satisfy us? It's only Jesus that... The, Jeremiah puts it like this. My people have committed two evils. They've hewn for themselves broken cisterns. Cisterns are wells, right? That hold no water. And they have forsaken me the fountain of living water. Man, he wants to bless you, but you want to seek him. And here you are tonight. So you're in a good place, amen? I know it's tough. I mean, Thanksgiving's tomorrow, but here you are. You're saying, you know what? Thanksgiving's tomorrow. I mean, Thanksgiving's today. And it's about giving him thanks. So why wouldn't I be at church? I know a lot of people have to prepare and get things ready and so forth. So I understand that. But uh, you made a great choice. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul calls himself the least of all the saints we've seen. Calls himself the scum of the world. He's regarded as such, I should say. He calls himself the, the, the chief of all sinners we've seen. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. He's speaking these same Corinthians. Verse 9 and 10. For I am the what? What does he say here in verse 9? I'm the what? Least. least of all the apostles. There it is again. Do we see a theme in Paul's life? He was very humble. He recognized that he deserved judgment. And this was... Paul was full of joy. That's why he could go in the Philippian, in the Roman prison, right to the Philippians, and he's in prison, chained to guards, right? And he could rejoice and talk more about joy in that letter than all of his letters. How could he have joy in those circumstances? Because he recognized, man, I am privileged now because I can share, I have a prison ministry, and the gospel is sharing. I'm sharing with the, the you know, the prison, I'm sharing with the, the, the Praetorium Guard, even Caesar's household, he says, is hearing the gospel. He says, I thank my God that you know, what's happened to me has been for the furtherance of the gospel. Because he's always able to look at the glass half full. Right? Because it's full of grace. And that's the way we need to be as Christians when we're going through things. We need to realize, Jesus loves me. And when the enemy tries to sow doubt in your mind, well, how do you know? Well, I know. You know why? Because it says he tasted death for everyone. And it says he's not partial. Amen. He's not a respecter of persons. And it says that he died for Paul because Paul was the chief of sinners, so I could know he loves me too. Amen? Amen? Do you know God even offered, Jesus even offered the sop to Judas? And Judas was there at the table. Read the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus says, this blood is shed for you, he was talking about Judas too. How do I know that? Because Judas is right there at the table. And at the end, right after he says this, then Judas goes to betray him. And then Judas comes and kisses him later. He says, friend, you betrayed me with a kiss. 
the heartbrokenness of God. And we need to make sure we're not betraying Jesus, but we're living for him. And I love this right here. Look what he says in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I what? I persecuted the church of God. But by what? By the grace of God. Praise God for his grace. I love the the acronym for grace that we use sometimes. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen? Amen. He says, but by the grace of God, I what? I am what I am. Amen? Amen? Praise God. And you're fearfully and wonderfully made, by the way, the scriptures say. Amen? Not by our doing. We didn't make ourselves. But you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. And now he's saying this because there's a, there is a war of false teachers coming against Paul at the church at Corinth. And he wants them to understand his track record on their behalf. And he says, I, I labored even more than all of them. But then he puts this tagline there, yet not I, but what? The grace of God with me. Amen. And he, so he's saying, even the good that I've done for the church, it's really all been by God's grace. Amen. Amen. And we all need to be in the habit of that. Amen. When people praise you, you say, glory to God. Amen. Say, praise the Lord. Amen. Deflect it to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Be thankful you're in his will. In Galatians chapter 6, it talks about that you can rejoice that you're fulfilling the will of God. We should be rejoiced that we're doing his will. Amen. Have good conscience. That's all beautiful. But we want to give glory to God. Amen. Because Anything we are that's good is by his hand, amen? The, the badness that we created, he reconciled us to himself through the grace of Christ, to his glory. And the things that we can now do for him are by his strength. In fact, Paul tells the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, he had a perspective that was real. God wants you to be real today. Admit our, we need to admit our sin, you know, and acknowledge his grace in our lives daily. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And look what Paul says here. Now, why would he be rebuking the Corinthians because of their arrogance? Because some of them know that, hey, eating something that's sacrificed to idols will not destroy you because really an idol is nothing. There's a demon. Demons use these idols, but the food isn't like somehow turned the molecular you know, structure of the food to destroy you. And some were like, you can't even eat anything sacrificed to an idol. And Paul's like, you do not worship idols. You know? uh, what fellowship do we have with idols you know, or fellowship with demons and so forth in 1 Corinthians 10? But he knows that they have knowledge that an idol is really nothing. But some of them were flaunting that and they were causing their brothers to stumble. Brothers that thought it would be wrong to eat anything sacrificed to an idol. And they would do it in front of them as though it was no big deal. Hurting their brothers' hearts, thinking, kind of causing them to stumble. And he, Paul says to the Corinthians, and he also says to the Romans, uh, Roman Christians in Romans chapter 14, will you cause your brother to perish for whom Christ died? He says, don't put by your eating a stumbling block before your brother. So some of these guys were like, well, I have Christian liberty. I have the liberty to eat these things. I, I'm free because, you know, I'm not worshiping idols, but I can buy some meat at the market where they have idols because it's nothing. And Paul's saying, if you go over someone's house and the food sacrifice an idol, but you don't know it, you eat it, you're fine. But he says, don't ask the guy, though, where you're eating over. Hey, did you sacrifice to idols? Because now you've got a problem with your conscience, Right? Because you don't want to be in the habit of just eating things, sacrificed idols. 
because you can cause your brother to stumble and so forth. There's a lot going on here, but I give you some background because look at chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes what? Arrogant. But love, what? Love edifies. Love builds up. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is the what? He is, I love this. If anyone supposes he knows anything, he has not yet what? Known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is what? Known by God. That is powerful, man. You love God? You're known by God. In fact, he knew you would love him before you were created. That's why he works all things together for the good, for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he, goes on to say, for whom we foreknew, those who would love him. He's predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He doesn't like pre, you know, just at a whim, arbitrarily, I predestined you. One, two, uh, you're through. Three, four, you get in the door. Five, six, you're, you're fixed. Uh, seven, eight, too late. Nine, ten, eleven, you get to heaven. It's not, he's like arbitrary. That's how some people teach it. So God just wants, some people just wants, oh, I want to show how powerful I am. I'm just going to burn these guys. No, I want to show how good I am. I'm just going to save these guys. That's why I'm going to be praising him, knowing he could just easily damn me, because he may or may not. He could just, there's no real love there, because it could have just damned me. No. He loves everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen? That whoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen? But God knows who will respond to his love, who respond to the gospel of grace. And your response does not give you any credit. Your response simply puts you in a position to where you're saying, okay, I hold myself. I, I, I put down my arms. Have mercy on me, God. Then he'll save you. And if we love him... He works everything for the good. And here I love this. It says, those who love God are known by God. But if you are arrogant because you know something more than somebody else, that's, that's silly and wicked as well. Because guess what? Who has given you knowledge? God. Oh, but I had to acquire knowledge. Well, who has given you the capacity to acquire knowledge? God. Well, I've acquired it in a certain way. Apart from God? then that's demonic, okay? Then now you're in real trouble, okay? You're hemmed in, you're cornered, man. Bow down before him and give him the glory, amen? Hallelujah. Live for him and give him all, great, all glory in your life. What do we have? Anything we know, you know? Uh, anything we have, any gifts that we have. See, the Corinthians were blessed with a lot of gifts. Paul says to them, and, and this is how you write a letter. One of the things we can think about tonight is how do you write a letter if you want to bring loving correction to someone with, with humility that you care about, you know? He starts with the Corinthians and he's going to really lambast them regarding their misuse of the gifts, how they're all speaking in tongues at once and there's no interpreter and people are coming and thinking they're mad and the unlearned and, and, and the unlearned and unbelievers are coming thinking they're mad and Paul's like, what are you doing? And he's going to really rebuke them. But before he gets into that, he says in chapter one, long before he gets to that, I thank my God for you guys that you come behind in no gift as you wait to come to the Lord Jesus. He's thankful. He's learned to have grace on other people. He realized that God was patient with him. We need to be patient with other people, amen? Paul's thoughtful about how he writes his letters. He's like, I need to tell these guys they're way off, and they're going to keep getting off. They need to be corrected. Some of them are denying the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. Some of them are involved in schisms, 1 Corinthians 3. Some are involved in sexual sin, 1 Corinthians 6. Some are saying, oh, we're free to do these things, 1 Corinthians 6 as well. You ought to be mourning, but you're rejoicing, Paul says. He rebukes them. But Paul starts off in a loving way. And uh, because Paul says love edifies. Amen. 
Now, knowledge is important. Do you think Paul was a bit knowledgeable? Yeah. Wow. He wrote half the New Testament. So he's not diminishing knowledge. But knowledge without love is empty. Knowledge is arrogant. Love builds up. You don't want to have one or the other. You want to have both. Amen? But if I was just going to have one, I'd love Trump's knowledge. But, well, didn't Paul have something to say that about that to the Corinthians? Go to 1 Corinthians 13, just a few pages away. Paul says to the Corinthians, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I have what? Become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Wow. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, there's the knowledge, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. Nothing. Verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never what? Love never fails. Man, we want to make sure that we walk in love. And by the way, how do we get love? Love is the fruit of the, the first time the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine different aspects of fruit mentioned. The first one is love. And Paul in Romans 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen? God yearns to love through us. He yearns for us to receive his love. He yearns for us to open up our hearts and, and, and experience his love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through the gospel, and you becoming knowledge of the gospel, and God lovingly revealing that to you by his Holy Spirit, convicting you of sin, and opening up your heart to realize his greatness, to realize our sinfulness, but to realize his love on the cross and what he did for you. And by doing that, our hearts open up to that love, but now he blesses you so you can become a blessing. Amen? Now he wants to not just love you, but he wants to love others through you. Amen? So our hearts and our prayers ought to be, God, please love through me. Please allow me to allow you to love through me. Because we have this thing called free will, you know. And you guys, you need to cry out to God, Lord, overcome my will. Help me will to do your will. And that is your will to do as well. That's why you're here tonight, amen. But we need the daily prayer. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I'm willing, but help me be even more willing. Amen crying out to him and, and being a blessing. Freely you have received, Jesus said. And then he said, freely what? Freely give. And praise the Lord. We have so many. I love you guys. This is, it's such a joy to pastor this fellowship through the years because just uh, my heart breaks. I've read a lot of horror stories with pastors and churches through the years, and, and, but by the grace of God. But God's assembled a group of believers through many, many years now where there's just a lot of love, you know, and, and a lot of people helping each other, blessing each other, being there for each other, being sincere, right? It's been a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean the enemy hasn't thrown wrenches and tried to bring hurt at times, but he'll do that. But man, we stand in Christ and we continue to stand because you just walk sincerely in Christ and you'll be victorious. Amen? 
So love is, is, is so important. And, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, Alfred Edersheim, he was an ancient, not ancient, <laughs> not that old, but he's been dead for some years, but he was a Messianic Jewish writer. And he would talk about, you remember the high priest would go into the temple and, uh, and he would have a belt. He'd have the vestments, the high priestly vestment, and the 12 stones representing the 12, star, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, all these precious stones over his heart because they were precious to him. Amen. And he would go in, but he also had a belt. And on that belt, he had, he had a bunch of bells on that belt. And as he was active, those bells would ring when he's working. The bells represented service for the Lord, and it was beautiful. Yet in between each bell was a pomegranate. Pomegranates are beautiful. I don't, everybody says, a lot of people say, what was the forbidden fruit, people say? The apple, right? I believe it may have been a pomegranate. I don't know, though. We don't know. It's just so beautiful. And it's, it's like a picture of God's love. I mean, when you get, look at the temple, it's the highest part of the temple. It's stuck up at the top. The greatest of these is love. And it's a fruit, right? So, but but uh, the scriptures say to put a pomegranate between each bell. And the, the bells represented service. But every other bell between each bell was the pomegranate. Fruit. Because service is supposed to be fruit, amen? And Alfred Edersheim uh, stated that uh, from his Jewish studies, now some say that there was a rope tied to the high priest's foot, and if the bells stopped ringing for a while, that meant God killed him, and he'd be dragged out of the temple that way, of the Holy of Holies, because only he could go into the Holy of Holies. I have not been able to verify that anywhere. Sounds like someone made it up sometime. Everybody just keeps repeating it in their messages. But I don't see it anywhere in, anywhere in history. It's not in Scripture. I don't see it anywhere in, in history. But it did represent service, it seems, and the fruit represented the fruit. And Alfred Edersheim said that it, the, the sound of the high priest working was melodic, beautiful, because of those pomegranates. They kind of muffled the sound a little bit, and it was pretty. But if you took the pomegranates out then you just had a bunch of noise. And isn't that interesting? You had cacophony. And what's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is dealing with what? Love. And if you don't have, you have speaking tongues, you have all these other gifts, but you don't have love, you're like a noisy gong. Which I think is really interesting. Because 1 Corinthians 12 is all about the gifts of the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 14 it's all about the gifts of the Spirit. Tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment of spirits, all those things. 12 and 14. Those are two bells. What's between 12 and 14? The chapter on what? There's a pomegranate. Love. Chapter 13. It's right in there, right in between. I don't think that's an accident. That's the Lord's divine symmetry. Letting us know how important it is that we serve Him, but that we, at the center of it all, that we love God. Amen that we love Christ. We recognize that it's by his grace that we're saved, that we should be doomed, that anything that we've received is at his hand, but we deserve judgment. But because of his grace, we don't get judgment, but we get nail-scarred hands that envelope us and share love with us because God is love. Amen? And we should rejoice in that love. And we should be full of thanksgiving as a result of that love. 
Now, this is really interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, he says something really interesting. He says, verse 11, you will be en enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your gener generosity will result in what? In us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. So this is something that's really, really beautiful. He's saying that God enriches all of us. Amen? Time, talent, treasure. Amen? He enriches us with time, talent, and treasure. And then it's so that we can be what? So we can be generous on what? Every occasion. God wants us to be generous people. He wants us to be a blessing to each other. Amen? You see a brother or sister hurting, and you have the wherewithal to help them, reach out and show them love. Amen? They need a ride. They, they need food. You know, they need help. help. Help one another. Amen? Love one another. And it says that God's enriched you in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity results in what? Thanksgiving to God. And what happens as a result of that? God blesses us, freely receive, freely give. We give to others, and then guess what? It abounds to God's glory because people are thankful because they see the hand of God at work in their lives. Amen? I've seen so many people through the years in our fellowship since it's been a, a blessing seeing people love one another, care for one another, take care of each other, encourage each other, be there for each other. It's not always easy because some people are newer when they're in the faith and they're, they're weak or they're, they're growing and you don't even know if you could trust some people when they first come in, you know, and then you start to see their walks and they, they love Jesus and, and so forth. So sometimes you're giving in a risky type situation, you know, and sometimes people are hard to snuggle up to because they're like porcupines, amen? Or sometimes they're cuddly and, oh, that's, that person's comfortable to be around, but then maybe they're skunks, you know, who knows? Or they're wolves, right? But the Bible says, be discerning in your love. So we just don't, we, we go the extra mile, Jesus says. If someone asks for your coat, give him your shirt. But he also said, don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and rend you, amen? So we're supposed to be discerning, as it says in Philippians 1, in our love. Prayerful, wise about how we bless, how we give, how we encourage. But not paranoid. Because what can happen is, oh, I'm not giving to that person. They're probably going to just use the money on drugs. And then you just become a miser. I'm never giving to anybody. They always got wrong motives. No, it's like, that's why sometimes it's important to, uh, I've, we've given to a lot of uh, homeless people through the years, especially when we're street witnessing. People are like, you know, down and out. Whether we, and we ministered for years in, on, on a highland in, in a sunset there in Hollywood at the corner there. Us, uh, you know, Third Street for years here on uh, First Street as well in Simi Valley. And, you know, we've ministered in a lot of different ways, but sometimes when there's people down and out, and you know, they're probably partying stuff like that, but a lot of times we'd give them something to eat. Hey, I'll, 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 you know, can I, can I buy you a, you know, on Highland and Sunset, there's McDonald's right there. Hey, can I get you some, some grub, you know? Because, yeah, a lot of times that money will get burned up. But we, as Christians, we should still be the ones showing love, amen? Show love of Christ. Now, if it's the same person over and over again, and they just want to use, and they're not open and so forth, well, then maybe you help another person, amen? But we, we, we want to make sure we're giving, and, and, and that we're loving as, as Christian men and women. Now, what's interesting, when we give, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 29. 2 Corinthians chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. There's not a 1 or 2 Corinthians chapter 29. But 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 
verse 10. Very interesting. Uh, here we see that David, you know, uh, he was leading Israel, you know, uh, and their leaders, you know, to give to uh, the, the work of building the temple in Jerusalem. And they were giving from their wealth. They were giving from their poverty even. They, whoever they were bringing up, they are getting their stuff together to build the temple for the Lord. And he says something really, really, really interesting that caught my attention. In verse 10, he says, it says, So David blessed the Lord. Look at the thanksgiving here, guys. Look how thankful he is. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. Uh, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. Notice what he says there. Both riches and honors come, honor comes from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and uh, it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. It's amazing. Look at this. It's so rich. Now check out what he says. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise you. Your, we praise your glorious name. Now look at verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your, from your hand we have given you. Think about what he just said right there. That keeps me humble. Anything I have to give, it was given to me by him. Anything I give to his glory for the furtherance of his work, when I give to the church or when I give to the work of the ministry, whether it's my time or my talent or my treasure, I'm only giving what he already gave me. That way, I, it's hard to be miserly when you recognize it all belongs to him. I just, I laugh because I even hesitate to give this illustration because Josiah is such a giving person, you know. He reaches out to people, loves people all the time. When he's a little kid, you're born with that little selfish nature, right? And I remember Lisa made some cookies, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and he's eating his cookies. And, 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 I, and I walk by and go, hey, hey, can I have a piece of that? And it was, think of the most, the smallest piece you could possibly break off. <laughs> and he did. He's like this. And I'm like, we just gave you those cookies, you know? I didn't say that, but I thought that. Like, man, I'd have some weaning of him to do from, you know. And he's not like that now at all, you know. He'll give you the shirt off his back. He's a great guy. But uh, that's how we forget that everything comes from God. I love, I looked at some different translations of this verse, verse 14. The English Standard Version says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer you so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Of your own we've given you. The NIV has it. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Wow. I looked at the NLT, and it says, Everything we have comes from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. I like that. Isn't that heavy? We give you only what you first gave us. So brothers and sisters, when the Lord tells us to give thanks, it's all about what he's given us. And we're only giving back to him nothing compared to what he's given us. Amen? So we need to be people of thanksgiving. Because the Lord says, you know, 
Uh, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It all belongs to him. That's Haggai 2.8. Uh, also, uh, Psalm 50, uh, verses 10 through 12, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine. Psalm 50, 10 through 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Wow. That's why I love what Paul, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by grace, the grace of God, I am what I am. Even who you are, it's all by God's grace. Even who I am, it's all by God's doing. Amen. And I love this. I love this. I thought, this is a really neat picture. What's a really cool picture of giving back to God in heaven? The 24 elders are before God. And, you know, they're, they're just praising God. And we read in verse 10, the four and 20 elders fall down before him and sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne. Amen. These are crowns that God's blessing them with. But instead of saying, yeah, look at what I deserve, they're like, they chuck it before the throne. It all belongs to you, God. We shouldn't even be wearing these crowns, but by your grace. Amen. And that's what we need to do. That's what we did. Always be looking at the throne. Everything's ended up at the throne of God in the end. You know? Everybody will be standing before the great throne judgment. Some will be cast into the lake of fire, right? But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, even in hell, it says, and on earth and under the earth. That's why it's best to bow before him now. Amen. Romans eleven thirty six, For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It's all about Jesus, man. And I want to challenge you this new year. Don't wait till this new year. I mean, hopefully you're doing it right now. Is live for his glory. Amen. Put him first. And be a person that's full, full of, filled with thanksgiving. Don't wait around till next year about this time saying, you know what, I should be more thankful. No. Be thankful every day. Amen. Start your day giving thanks to the Lord that he's giving you the breath, you know? When they were praising God, and, and David's like, who are we to even praise you? Because even, you know, everything that we give you, and he's talking about the wealth that was given, it was being given to build the temple. He goes, that's even from your hand. We're just giving you back what you gave us. If you have that perspective, it's a, very easy to be a giving person, a loving person, a caring person. Amen? And, it's, and we ought to wake up in the morning and thank him and say, thank you, Lord, that I have life. Amen. But Joe, I got this terrible, I started working out, man, and I barely listened to you because I got this, this, this huge blister that's so painful in my hand. I'm just so ticked off. There's nothing to be thankful about. Don't be thankful. Yeah, I've said that. A number. You've heard this illustration before, right? Some people think about the blister in their hand. They can't be thankful. Other people think, praise God, I have a hand that I could have a blister on. Amen. You need to recognize, man, that the fact that you have struggles at times means you are a living person made in God's image. Amen. But he wants to use those things to his glory and for your good. Amen. He's such a good God. So let's be a people of thanksgiving. Amen. Let's make sure we're all serving the Lord. Let's be thankful. In fact, Jesus talked about that man who went in and he did his master's will. And he said, the master didn't even have to say thank you to him. Why? Because he only did his duty. We don't deserve to be thanked because we're doing what we're created to do. 
But guess what? God, because he's so good and loving and kind, goes beyond just what's just and right. But he has mercy and grace on us, and it even rewards us. Amen? We don't deserve rewards. We're, we're in debt. Jesus paid the debt. Now we're not in debt. It is finished. Thank you for paying my debt. And guess what else I'm going to do, Lord says? You've, even though you're going to still blow it at times, I'm going to bless you in the end, and I'm going to reward you, and I'm going to give you pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing. Amen? And I love that verse. Pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing. Sometimes, you know, I'll say to people through the years, you know, you know bless you, brother, or whatever, you know? And I'll just encourage them. I'll pray for them. Or I'll say, you know, press down, shaken up to the max and overflowing, you know. That's what the Lord wants to do in each of our lives. Amen. He wants to bless you with more and more of him. Amen. Live for him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It will add everything, all your needs to you. Amen. My wife has a strange grin on her face. And I bet that grin says, I bet you're not going to be early. <laughs> Is that there? I know her really good. And I missed on that one. It's a sweet grin, but she's smiling. She's just soaking up the word. Praise the Lord. I'm grinning because I'm happy you found my keys. Thank you, baby. <laughs> I'd be like, Lisa, you know, where's my phone? I couldn't find my phone either. So God worked it all out tonight, amen? And we're still five minutes early. Can you believe that? Can we all please stand up? What a good God we have, amen?